This episode of Game Master's Journey is brought to you by my patrons, readers, and listeners. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, visit LexStarWalker.com slash support. Starwalker Studios presents Game Master's Journey, your multidimensional RPG podcast. Hello, fellow gamer. Welcome to episode 295 of Game Master's Journey. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker. On this show, we discuss the craft and the art of game mastering. I've been running RPGs for over 30 years now, and I produce this show in the hopes that you can benefit from my experience, my triumphs, and my mistakes. This week, I'm going to continue my discussion of White Wolf's Vampire the Masquerade. We'll talk a bit more about the specifics of vampires and and how they work in this RPG, their various supernatural abilities, and more. So stay tuned for that. But before I get into vampire today, I thought that uh, I would make a request of you, dear listener, because as I was uh, preparing for this episode, I realize this is episode 295. We're only a few episodes away from episode 300. My goodness, that is definitely by far the most episodes I've ever produced in a given podcast before. Uh, It's quite a milestone, and I thought it would be fun to celebrate it. So I had a lot of fun with the episode 100 of this show way back when, years ago. Um, I had quite a few other RPG podcasters uh, send me some audio, and that was a lot of fun. Episode 200 kind of just went by. I didn't do anything uh, different for that. And uh, so now here we are quickly approaching episode 300, and I thought it would be fun to do something special for that. But instead of opening up the microphone to other RPG podcasters out there, although if you are out there and you have something to say, feel free to call my voicemail or send me an audio file and and I'd be happy to include it. But instead of doing that this time, I thought I would open up the mic to you, dear listener. I would love to hear from you. So there are two great ways you can get a hold of me. You can call my voicemail at 951-GMJ-LEX1. That's 951-465-5391. Or you can email me at GameMastersJourney at gmail.com. So I would love to hear from as many of you as possible, especially if you're, you know, someone that's been listening to the show for a while, especially, especially if you're someone that's listened to all of the episodes. I would love to hear from you. You can either call my voicemail and just leave a message, or uh, if you have the means, you can uh, record your audio message uh, as a as an MP3 or whatever, and send that to me by email, um, whichever you prefer. So, what what am I asking for? What would I like to hear from you about? Well. You know, the sky's the limit, really, as long as it's relevant uh, to what we talk about on this show. But uh, some thoughts I had is, first of all, I'd love to hear from you if you have learned anything of value from this show through the years. Um, If there's a particular episode or a particular topic I covered that helped you in any way as, as a game master, maybe helped you level up your craft or... 
maybe introduced you to a game you'd never tried before or introduced you to a concept you'd never thought of before, anything like that, I'd love to hear from you. If there's any way uh, through the years this show has helped you or even if it's just entertained you in some way, I would love to hear from you. Of course, I always welcome questions if anyone has a question or a suggestion for a future topic. That would be awesome too. And then finally, uh, another thing you could share with me and the other listeners is uh, an RPG story of your own, uh, whether as a GM or as a player. If you have an RPG story you'd like to share, that would be awesome. So yeah, if uh, you'd like to be a part of my episode 300 celebration and either... Uh, share a, a war story as a GM or a player or ask a question or suggest a topic or let me know a particular episode or topic that helped you or that you learned something from, let me know. Again, you can call me at 951-GMJ-LEX1 and leave a message. It's a, it's a voicemail line only, so you're just going to get uh, voicemail. That, that's all that happens if you call that number. Or uh, you can send me an audio file at GameMastersJourney at gmail.com. And finally, if, if you're just not uh, comfortable having your voice on a podcast, I get it. If you'd rather just email me something uh, in a text form, that's great too. Uh, go ahead and uh, send it to me. So hopefully I hear from some of you. Hopefully I hear from a lot of you. Um, the more the merrier. Uh, it'll be really embarrassing if I don't hear from anyone and I uh, I, I put out this call and then uh, <laughs> uh, I don't hear from anyone and and end up totally doing something different for episode 300. But uh, I know I have a lot of subscribers, so hopefully uh, at least some of you can uh, do this for me and uh, help me celebrate episode 300 of the show as we continue on into the future and for that, in advance, I thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate it. All right, so that's about it. I don't really have anything to announce or, or anything like that at the top of the show, other than to once again implore you, if you haven't already, to check out my other podcast, Lex Out Loud. You can find that at lexstarwalker.com slash LOL. And uh, yeah, I hope you'll check it out. Uh, it's more of a writing-focused podcast. However, um, there are so many parallels between being a writer and being a GM. And uh, I think that uh, even if you're not yourself a writer or a reader, a uh, big reader, um, if you're a GM, I, I think you'll you'll get value from the other show. The first season of Lex Out Loud, I did a lot of episodes on world building. I, I know I have a lot of fans of world building in my audience that, that have loved all the, the world building episodes I've done on this show. And uh, so for my series of novels that I'm writing, I did world building for a science fiction setting. And I did quite a few episodes on that in the uh, first season of Lex Out Loud. So it was very similar to a lot of the world building episodes I did on this show when I was building my setting of Primordia for D&D, where I just kind of talked about the process and what I was coming up with and, and all that good stuff. So if you're one of the many world builders that I have in my audience, please check out Lex Out Loud, and uh, I think you'll you'll enjoy it. All right, so that's that. Without further ado, let's move on to our main topic today and continue our introduction into Vampire the Masquerade.
All right. So I am back today to speak with you some more about Vampire the Masquerade. Hopefully we'll get through the rest of this today. Although we may not, I don't know, because I really love this game. And, you know, I I have my outline of topics I want to discuss, but I have a feeling uh, more things will probably come up as we go through this. Because I really love these games by White Wolf, and I've had so much fun running them through the years. And it's really great to uh, to get back to them after all this time away. And I can't believe that I'd forgotten how much I enjoy running these games. Although right now, I'm not running one. I'm actually playing in a mage game run by my friend Craig, who was uh, on a few episodes again. And, and I think we'll be on again in the near future when we turn to talking about mage a little bit more. But uh, yeah, I've been playing in his game and having a lot of fun with that. And uh, yeah, it, it's definitely reminded me of, of how much I enjoy this system, how much I enjoy these games, and how much I really enjoy their approach to GMing. Like I said last episode, I really count Vampire the Masquerade and Changeling the Dreaming as the games that really shaped me as a GM and, and made me the GM that I am today. My first game I ever ran was D&D 2nd Edition, um, so I, so I guess, you know, I learned the basics from that and, and more so from a, from a friend of mine in, in high school who was a DM who kind of showed me the ropes, but, uh, it was the basics and I'm trying to think vampire might've been the second game I ran. It was definitely the second game I played after D and D. I think maybe it was the second game I ran. It's possible I ran West End game Star Wars RPG before Vampire, but I think Vampire was the second game I I ran. But uh, it was definitely Vampire and reading uh, the Vampire second edition uh, core book for the game that really introduced me to this whole different approach to GMing, approaching it more as a storyteller than a war gamer. And... Yeah, it it really um really opened my eyes to to a brave new world. <laughs> so we talked a lot about that last week about um their approach to storytelling or game mastering and and what I liked about it and what I learned from it. So today we're finally going to start getting into vampire specifically and I've uh through the last couple episodes kind of given an overview of the system overall for these games. And so today we'll we'll get into the mechanics, some of the mechanics specific to Vampire. So probably to begin with, the, the most uh, interesting thing about Vampire, about vampires in, in this game, are the disciplines. So the disciplines are the vampires' supernatural abilities. Now, it's not all of them, because there are some basic supernatural abilities the vampires all have that it doesn't matter what type of vampire you are and they all have various things and those mostly boil down to greater physical abilities and and we'll get into the mechanics of that a little later but when you think about a, a vampire's more just blatantly supernatural powers that's all in the disciplines and as I've described before, what, what they did is they went through, or I imagine this is, I don't actually know how they came up with this, but this is how I've always imagined they came up with it, is they went through all the, the vampire stories out there 
and made a list of all the things you see vampires doing in various stories as far as, you know, supernatural things that a normal human couldn't do. And, you know, a lot of them have certain things in common and then different stories may have have their vampires doing things that you don't see vampires do in, in other stories. But a lot of them share a lot of things in common. So, so I imagine they made this list of all the crazy things vampires can do. And then they organized them by theme to create the disciplines. So each discipline is a group of five powers. Because like the other stats in these games, like the abilities and the attributes, vampire disciplines go from one to five. So there are five levels. And I'll put a big asterisk here because that's not entirely true. Actually, in Vampire, at least, all of the, all of the attributes, all of the abilities, and all of the disciplines actually, actually, technically, they go to 10, not just five. But uh, from the perspective of a beginning character in 99% of vampire games, they only go to five. And five is the human maximum. However, in vampire, you have vampires who are very old and very powerful, and they actually transcend the human maximum, and they can have traits that go all the way up to 10. Um, we're not going to get into that today. I, I will tell you that the, the discipline powers from six to 10 are pretty OP. They're pretty awesome and they're pretty out there. And yeah, they're really cool. And if people want to hear about that, I, I'd be happy to, to spend an episode going into the, the craziness of discipline six to 10 powers. But uh, today we're just going to stick with the what's in the core book, which is levels one to five. So, you know, in general, if we're talking, you know, human norms, uh, all of these traits can go from one to five. So, you know, if you have a, a two strength versus a five strength, it's just really how many dice do you get to roll when you roll something to do a strength. But with the with the disciplines, each of those ratings, one, two, three, four, and five, is a is a new power, is something new you can do with that discipline. There, there are three exceptions to that, uh, which we'll get into when we get to them. But in general, that's the way it works. And so probably make more sense as I go through the different disciplines. So in the book, these are presented in alphabetical order. So that is going to be how I approach it. And ironically, due to the alphabet, the first discipline is the discipline that I, as a storyteller of these games, have seen used by far the least. And that is the discipline of animalism. So animalism allows empathy with and power over the animal world as well as the animal within. And that is referring to what in this game is called the beast. And one thing that sets this game and, and all of these White Wolf games apart from a lot of other RPGs is every single one of these games has some kind of internal conflict built into the player characters. They differ between the different games, what that conflict is and how it works, but they all have it. And what that conflict is in Vampire is the conflict between your humanity and the beast. So if you think about a lot of Vampire, you know, movies or TV shows you've seen, 
Um, you're probably familiar with the concept of, you know, sometimes a vampire just loses control, right? A lot of times this is shown when they're really hungry and or very injured and they are in the presence of blood, like someone cuts themselves or something like that, and the vampire just can't help themselves but eat that person, right? Like, like we've seen this in so many movies and shows and uh, books about vampires. So that is what is referred to in this game as the beast. And the idea is when you are made into a vampire, there is now this hunger within you, the hunger for human blood, and that is called the beast. And the idea is that the beast is like this animal inside of you. It is not a civilized creature. It does not care about human concepts of right or wrong or anything like that. The beast is like the vampire's id. All it cares about is feeding itself and, and becoming satisfied, uh, satiated, and not being hungry anymore. And it does not care about anything else. It is a true, it is like the reptile brain. It is an animal. So once you become a vampire, you have this beast. You have the hunger within you. And if you do not appease the beast, it can take over. So this is what we're seeing in these stories where a vampire gets really hungry or they get really injured physically and then somebody cuts themselves or whatever and the vampire can't resist and they eat that person. That that's the beast. So every vampire character, every player character, and the NPCs as well, have this internal conflict of the beast versus their humanity. And their humanity is exactly what it says. It's being human. So when you're first made into a vampire, I mean, for the most part, you're just as human as you were before you were made into a vampire. You're, you're the same person. Like, it doesn't just change your personality or anything like that. You're the same person that you were. However, you now have this hunger within you. You, knew, you now have this beast within you. And at times when you are under stress or if you're really low on blood, if you're really hungry, your ability to resist the beast and its urges weakens and it can actually take over and cause you to do something you don't want to do and, and will probably later regret. So there's a, kind of a, a whole suite of mechanics in this game that, that represent this internal strug, struggle. And we'll get into that a little bit more uh, in a bit when we talk about the virtues and humanity. But for now, it will just suffice it to say that uh, you you have this stat called humanity, which represents kind of where you're at in this struggle, this war between your humanity and the beast. As you give in to the beast more and more, whether that's because you choose to, because you just choose to be like that, you go around on a killing spree or something like that, or if it's because it happens against your will because you get too hungry or you get too injured or something like that and you lose control, it doesn't matter. The more times you lose that, that battle with the beast, the more it erodes your humanity, the less human you are and the more of a monster you become. And this is represented in the game by this stat that goes from 1 to 10 called humanity. And, and we'll talk about that more in a bit. But yeah, it's really cool because... You know, you have this conflict within your character that really helps you role play, really helps you get into, you know, being a vampire. 
as you role play this this slow degradation of your humanity over time and it's slow if you're resisting it not all vampires resist it and that's a decision you get to make as a player is how much are you going to fight the beast and how much are you going to give into it so animalism some of its powers getting back to the discipline uh, helps you out with the beast a bit so i'm just going to go through this stuff pretty quickly I, i'm not going to get into the gritty details of the mechanics of how this stuff works, but more just give you an overview of what these different disciplines do. So as I said, each of these disciplines have five powers, and each of the powers from one to five are going to get more powerful, right? So the level two power is more powerful than the level one power. Makes sense. So the first uh, animalism power is called Sweet Whispers. So Sweet Whispers gives you the ability to have a an empathic communication with an animal. So, you know, most animals probably aren't smart enough to, to have like, you know, an actual conversation using language, although there are some animals out there that, that may be able to do that, like um, dolphins for one. But what you can do with this is, is you can have a limited, you know, empathic and emotional uh, communication with an animal. You need to be able to look into their eyes to do this. But, you know, it, it'll allow you to do things to maybe quit, get a dog to quit barking at you, you know, things like that. You, you can have some influence uh, over an animal. And what this lets you do is make requests of an animal to get it to do certain things. So yeah, that's that's uh, sweet whispers. You you can kind of have it this empathic communication with an animal and and get it to do stuff that you want it to do. Although there is a limit to the complexity of the instructions you can give it, just based on you know how smart that animal is. The level two power of animalism is called the beckoning, and this allows you to summon animals to you. You can summon one specific species of animals per, per use of this power. And unlike the first power, uh, Sweet Whispers, which was a completely mental thing, you just looked into the animal's eyes and you think about what you want it to do and it does it. With the beckoning, you actually, quote, speak in the animal's language. So if you want to summon a bunch of wolves, you howl in, into the night and, and whatnot. So, you know, an obvious limitation to this is you're not pulling animals out of the ether. You are you are calling animals that are nearby to you. So if you're in the middle of the city, you know, trying to call wolves to you isn't probably going to do much good. Um, but you could call stray dogs or stray cats or rats or pigeons or or whatever. Now this doesn't uh, make the the animals have to obey what you tell them to do when they show up, but they are in general friendly towards you when you use this ability to call them. The third power in animalism is called Song of Serenity. So this one's a little different, and it also in involves this beast a bit. So I think this one, I'll just read it from the book. It says, This power allows you to expel the savagery from an animal or mortal, causing the target to become passive and listless, simply by touching the individual you wish to affect and singing a song of comfort and solace to the beast within, you can take from it that which gives it the fire of individuality and creativity. When the beast has been removed from an individual, he loses the will to fight or struggle. He cannot use or regain willpower, nor can he resist any sort of attack upon him. Uh, vampires are immune to this power. Mortals and creatures who lack a beast are prone to accept nearly anything which occurs to them in this state as completely normal and natural. 
giving no reaction to it. Later, they might wonder why they had no reaction, but often they avoid thinking about the situation at all. So that's kind of useful, right? Uh, level four power is called sharing of spirits. By staring into the eyes of an animal, your spirit or conscious mind moves within the animal and possesses it. This allows you to control the actions of the animal as if you were that animal. Your body becomes unconscious and remains motionless during this time, exactly as if you were in torpor, which torpor is where a vampire will go to sleep for a long period of time, like years, decades, or even centuries, or even millennia. It's like a, almost like a coma for vampires. And then the level five power of animalism is called drawing out the beast. So in order to explain this power to you, I, I need to tell you about frenzy. <laughs> I was actually going to talk about this later, but I'll talk about it now. may go into it again later. But uh, frenzy is just the, the word they use for when a vampire loses control to their beast. So, you know, the classic example from stories that we've seen in red is when the vampire is, is confronted with blood, like someone's bleeding for some reason, and they lose control and they bite the person. So that is a frenzy. That is when the beast rears within you and you fail to control it and you lose control for a while. That is a frenzy. So what the level five power of animalism, drawing out the beast, does is when you are going to frenzy, you can instead put your beast into another person or animal. And then they frenzy instead of you. So that's some crazy stuff. So yeah, animalism is by far the discipline I have seen used the least among player characters. Part of it is because, especially the lower level powers aren't super useful in a city where there aren't a lot of animals to speak of. And the other part of it is, as far as the vampire clans in the, the core book, there's only one clan that gets access to this discipline. So, you know, unless a player plays that clan, which is the Gangrel clan, then if they want to get this discipline, it's going to be pretty expensive for them to, to do that. And like I said, it's just not a terribly useful discipline in the city where there's not a ton of animals around. Although some of the stuff at the higher levels that you can do with the beast would, would be pretty useful, but you got to get to the high levels to, to be able to get that. So, so yeah, I haven't seen that one. Actually, I don't know that I've ever seen anyone use it much at the table. The next discipline, however, I have seen used a lot, and it is probably my favorite. When I play a character, my characters always have this discipline, and it is called Auspects. And Auspects is a discipline of extrasensory awareness, empathy, and perception. And yeah, this is my kind of stuff. So the level one power of Auspects is called Heightened Senses. And it does exactly what it sounds like. When you activate this power, it amplifies all of your senses, all five of your senses. And it says it doubles your normal ranges of hearing and sight in terms of both dis distance and the conditions in which those senses are effective. And your other senses become equally useful with increased olfactory sensitivity, etc. So it just amplifies all of your senses, makes them more powerful. The level two power of Auspects is aura perception. And that lets you see auras around other beings. The colors of these auras tell you the emotional state of the person. 
And then the there are other aspects of the aura that will tell you if there's some kind of a supernatural. So, you know, unless there's some kind of obvious, like, visual clue, um, you can't necessarily tell that someone's a vampire or a werewolf or a mage or whatever just by looking at them. So if you are a vampire with auspects and you have level two, now you can tell. Now you can know for sure if someone's a vampire or not or if they're a werewolf or whatever. And you can also know what their emotional state is. And they have a chart here that gives different colors and tells you what the emotion is, which which I love because it's really great as a storyteller to have this when a player uses it instead of just telling them that, oh, this person is angry, you can say, well, this person has a red aura. So yeah, there, there's all kinds of emotions here. Depressed is gray. Desirous or lustful is a deep red. Envious is a dark green, of course. Happy is vermilion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Love is blue. And then we have um, different supernaturals. Uh, so instance, if it, the person is a vampire, the color of the aura will be very pale. It'll look kind of washed out. If they're a mage or they use magic of some kind, their aura will have sparkles in it, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Um, let me see. Actually, they, I take it back. They don't have uh, they don't have an aura for werewolves or changelings or or anything else. Now, the changelings would have the sparkles because they definitely use magic. A werewolf might have the sparkles because they may use magic, depending on the werewolf. Some other interesting things is you can tell if uh, someone is in a frenzy. So if they're in a frenzy, which which I just talked about, then their aura will, will rapidly ripple through different colors. And then another interesting you, thing you can tell is if someone's a diabolist, if they've committed diablery. And I'm not going to go into that right now because that's a whole thing, uh, but we will talk about that in a bit. Level three of Auspex is the Spirit's Touch. And this is an ability you may be familiar with from other things. It's the ability to touch an object and get flashes of things that have happened in that object's history. It can be really useful, especially if you're trying to solve a mystery of some kind. Level four of Auspex is Telepathy. You can read the surface thoughts of any nearby subject and listen to them as you would listen to that person speak. Given enough time, you can learn nearly anything about the subject. So yeah, you can read people's minds. Pretty cool. And then level five of Auspex is Psychic Projection. So with this, you are able to expand uh, your consciousness to such a degree that you can separate your mind from your body. While in the state, you can travel without the use of your body journeying nearly anywhere on Earth. So it's astral travel, basically, if you're familiar with that concept. And it looks like you can go as far as the outermost point of the moon's orbit, and then you you uh, reach an impassable barrier. So yeah, that can be a really useful ability. All right, so our next discipline is celerity. And this is one of, I said there were three that were a little different. This is one of those where you don't so much get a power with each level, but Celerity is the vam vampire super speed. So Celerity does a couple things. The first thing it does is whatever your rating is in Celerity, which goes from one to five, whatever that is, you get that many extra dice 
in your dice pool for any dexterity-related role. So your celerity basically adds to your dexterity for any role using dexterity. The other thing celerity does is when you activate it, which requires using your blood, which we'll get to in a bit how that works, um, you get more actions in a turn. And uh, basically, simply, whatever your celerity rating is, you get that many more actions. So normally you have one action in a turn. If you have a celerity of one, you get two actions. If you have a celerity of two, you get three actions and so on, all the way up to getting six actions (laughs) with a celerity of five, which is pretty cool. Now, it's more of a physical speed kind of thing. So you can only use those actions to do physical things. You can't, for instance, use them to use disciplines. But yeah, extremely effective in uh, any kind of combat having celerity. Our next discipline is called Dominate. And this is another classic vampire ability. This is the uh, ability to control people's minds. So Auspex lets you perceive things and, and lets you gives you eventually telepathy, lets you read people's minds, but it doesn't give you the ability to control people at all. That's Dominate. So one thing uh, interesting about Dominate is you have to have eye contact to use these powers. There's another sort of similar discipline called Presence that we'll get to in a bit where you don't need eye contact, but this one you do. You have to make eye contact to do this. And this is all the classic vampire mind control stuff. So level one power is called Command the Wearied Mind. And this allows you to give someone a one word command that they must follow. This does work on other vampires. However, there is a catch. You cannot use Dominate on a vampire who is lower generation than you. And generation is another concept that we'll talk about in a little bit. But for now, just think of it like generation is how powerful you are. So you can't use Dominate on a lower generation vampire, which is a vampire who is more powerful than you, uh, at least in that specific way. Now, that's a, that's a simplification. Generation is, is just one aspect of your character. So you could have another, like an NPC vampire who is not lower generation than you, but is much more powerful than you, and you could use Dominate on that vampire, which is kind of interesting. So yeah, Command a Wearied Mind is a one-word command. Level two is Mesmerize, which allows you to give more complex commands, more than just one word. Um, This requires intense concentration and the careful and precise use of instructions because this person will carry out your instructions to the letter exactly as you stated it. Because you're basically hijacking their brain. So they just do exactly what you tell them to do. It's not so much a thing that they're trying to subvert you it's just that you're kind of programming them. So, you know, they follow the program you gave them. So you have to be very careful, you know, what you tell them to do because they're going to ex- do exactly what you tell them to do. Level three of Dominate is the Forgetful Mind. This allows you to take away people's memories. So one big thing about vampire is, or about vampires is the Masquerade. The game is called Vampire the Masquerade. And I realize now I don't think I've explained this yet. So what the masquerade is, is basically just hiding from humans. Vampires do not want humans to know that vampires exist. Because especially, you know, nowadays with modern technology, 
if the billions of humans on the planet knew that vampires exist, they could probably wipe them out without too much trouble. So although vampires are, are individually very powerful, humans greatly, greatly outnumber them. And, you know, vampires are vulnerable to sunlight and fire. And modern humans have, have all kinds of ways of making fire these days, uh, including an up to nuclear fire, uh, which would definitely annihilate a vampire. So uh, they're, they're careful. So the masquerade is the most important rule of the vampire society. And it's simply keeping the existence of vampires a secret from humans. So this ability, the forgetful mind, is very much like uh, the red flashy thing in Men in Black, where if as a vampire you screw up and a human sees you do something supernatural, you can make them forget, which can be very useful. The level four power of dominate is called conditioning. And basically what this does is it allows you to condition someone so that your dominate powers will work on them even better. So you, you know, if you have someone that, that you want to dominate a lot, like often, um, you can use this conditioning on them. And then in the future, when you dominate them, it will be easier to do and it will work better and they'll have less chance of resisting it because they've been conditioned. And then the level five power of dominate is possession, where you take complete control of another person's mind and body by actually entering the other person's mind. You can control their actions in a very precise manner. The subject is an automaton, completely incapable of independent action. And while you're doing this, while you're controlling this other person, your body is motionless as if it were in torpor, which is like a vampire coma. This power does not work on other vampires, though. You can only use it on, on humans. All right, the next discipline is called fortitude. This is another of the ones where you don't get specific powers. And each of the three disciplines that are like this map to one of the physical attributes. So celerity was your dexterity discipline. Fortitude is your stamina discipline. So as I just said a minute ago, vampires are vulnerable to sunlight and fire. Any other kind of damage they might take um, whether it's from something heavy falling on them or a gunshot or a stabbing by a knife or, or whatever, or, or a dog, you know, biting them, all those things. Anything that is not sunlight or fire, they can heal very easily and very quickly, um, very quickly. However, they are vulnerable to sunlight and fire. And those are the two things that can actually kill them. You, you can't kill a vampire with a gun. You, you could mess it up. You could, you could do enough damage that it would be effectively um, immobilized and, and not able to do much, but you couldn't actually kill it. The only things that, that can kill a vampire are sunlight and fire and, well, also decapitation, if you manage that. So sunlight and fire, as far as the mechanics, I, I talked about in the last episode, in combat, when, when you get hit and you take damage, you get to roll to soak that damage and you roll your stamina. Um, if you're wearing any kind of like body armor or something, that will give you more dice to roll with your stamina to soak that damage. And then any successes you get on that soak roll cancel out the damage. Well, there's an exception to that because you can't soak what's called aggravated damage, which is damage from sunlight and fire. So, uh, you know, if someone sets you on fire 
you take whatever damage you take, you can't roll to soak it. So what fortitude does is fortitude allows you to soak aggravated damage. So with a with normal damage, like someone shoots you with a gun, fortitude just just like dexterity or just like celerity added to your dexterity, fortitude adds to your stamina. So anytime you you make a roll to soak normal non-aggravated damage, you get to add your fortitude rating to your stamina rating to add more dice to your dice pool. However, if you do take damage from sunlight or fire, fortitude lets you soak it, but you only get to soak it with your fortitude. So let's say you have a stamina of three and a fortitude of two. If you get shot with a gun or any kind of norm, you know, normal damage, instead of just rolling three dice for your three stamina to soak, you get to roll five dice to soak, three from your stamina, two from your fortitude. So five dice to soak normal damage. And then if you get hit by sunlight or fire, instead of just having to take it and not being able to soak, you get to roll those two fortitude dice to soak that damage. So vampires with fortitude are the only ones that can resist sunlight and fire at all. You know, and if you had a high enough fortitude, it's conceivable that you could go out into the sunlight at least for a little bit and not take any damage or or not take very much. So that's a pretty handy... uh, discipline to have too. Our next discipline is obfuscate. And this is all the powers of hiding yourself as a vampire. So the level one power of obfuscate is cloak of shadows. And this allows you to hide in shadows. (laughs) Makes sense, right? So this basically allows you to hide pretty much perfectly as long as you have some form of cover. So you need to be in a shadow or hiding behind something or something like that. So as long as you have some kind of cover, and it doesn't have to be complete cover, so you could do something like hide behind a lamppost. Even though the lamppost is not nearly as thick as, as your body is, just anything that will break line of sight even a little bit allows you to use this power, and you're just hidden. You can't be seen. The only exception to that is some kind of supernatural ability of perception. So for instance, um, if you use Cloak of Shadows to hide, no human is ever going to see you. You know, there's not even a role required for that. But another vampire could possibly see you if they have auspects and if their auspects is higher than your obfuscate. So even other vampires can't see you if they don't have auspects or if their auspects isn't higher than your obfuscate which is pretty cool. And I think if the uh, obfuscate and auspects are equal, I think it's an opposed role at that point. But yeah, if, you, if you're if you hiding from a vampire that doesn't have auspects or it's lower than your obfuscate is, they, they have no, no hope of seeing you. It's like you're invisible. The level two power is unseen presence. So this is kind of a level up of the Cloak of Shadows. Now you you don't need to hide in darkness or, or behind something you can hide in plain sight and you can even move around and remain hidden. And this, actually all of these powers, I should point out, all of the obfuscate powers, they're not actually making you invisible. Instead, what they're doing is they are making it so that people don't perceive you. So you're still there, you're still visible, they just don't see you. It's more of messing with their mind so that their brain ignores you and, and doesn't let them see you. So in that way, you know, Officegate even works on like camera, like on a security camera. I mean, the camera is going to pick you up. 
and you're going to be on on the video but no one watching the video will will notice you on the video because um you know this doesn't make you invisible it just makes it so people's brains refuse to see you or or refuse to let them know that that you're there so unseen presence hides you even if you walk around you don't need to hide behind anything you can be in plain sight um the only limitation to this is if someone is specifically looking for you uh they have a chance of seeing you so you know if someone is looking for you specifically then then they can make a role to try to see you but if they're not if you're just like walking through a crowd and no one's looking for you specifically then then none of them will see you again like all the office powers uh, a vampire with a higher level of aspects will be able to see you. And you can draw attention to yourself with this if you talk or make a bunch of noise or knock things over or uh, do something else like attack someone or something, then then people will probably notice you. The level three power of Obfuscate is Mask of a Thousand Faces, and this lets you change your appearance so that you can look like someone else. Level four power of office gate is called vanish from the mind's eye. And this one lets you just vanish. So even if someone is looking right at you, even if you're standing right in front of them, you can just disappear, which is pretty awesome. And then level five is cloak of the gathering. And this allows you to include other people in all of your other office gate abilities. So you can obfuscate a group of people, for instance, the other player characters, and keep the whole party hidden and and no one will see you. Pretty cool stuff. Our next uh, discipline is Potence. This is another one of those physical disciplines. So we already had the stamina one and the, and the uh, dexterity one. So guess what this one is? Strength. You got it. So this is uh, Super Vampire Strength. Now this one, well, actually all of these have have changed uh, through the versions with the revised edition. This is the one that I'm I'm tempted to keep it the old way. The old way, the way it worked was any dot dots you had in potence just gave you automatic successes on any rolls using strengths. Now in the revised in the 20th anniversary edition, they just give you extra dice to strengths. But uh, I kind of like the extra successes thing, especially because, I mean, strength isn't really something you use a whole lot in the modern day. You know, most weapons like like guns and whatnot uh, use dexterity, not strength. So um, I felt like just giving you free successes with potence kind of made up for the fact that in general, being super strong isn't that useful nowadays. But yeah, you know, however way you go with it, it either gives them free successes on on any rolls involving strength or they get those extra dice to strength. Next up is presence. This is another favorite discipline of mine. So this is, remember we had dominate, which was all like mind control stuff. Well, this is more the, the power of your personality. And unlike the dominate powers, which all involve, like you had to have eye to eye contact with someone, these don't require that. They just need to be in your presence, in your in your space. So the level one power of presence is awe. And when you use this power, anyone near you becomes intensely attracted to you. They will do nearly anything to be close to you, although their fa- fascination is not so complete that they will endanger themselves. Um, the effects last only as long as the subjects are in your presence, but the next time they see you, the feelings are likely to be reawakened. 
By carefully using this power, you can have phenomenal powers of mass communication. Since presence uses emotion to sway victims, it doesn't really matter what is said, but you can more easily convince people of a certain course of action or of the nobility of a purpose by using this discipline. So it just puts people in awe of you, makes any kind of thing you want to do with them socially much, much easier. Level two of presence is the dread gaze. And this is the thing where the vampire like bears his teeth and hisses at you. And it just fills someone with fear. And they are cowed by your appearance and will do anything to avoid incurring your wrath. Level three of presence is entrancement. Um, This is used to convince another to serve you. The subject of entrancement will be enchanted with you and desire to serve your needs. However, unlike a person possessed with dominate powers, the subject of entrancement retains her freedom of action and creativity. This can be both good and bad. So you remember when I was talking about the dominate power of Mesmerize, how you know they follow your instructions to the letter, word for word. You have to be really careful how you word things. Um, with entrancement, they just try to make you happy. They just try to do what you want to the best of their ability. So it does allow them the freedom to interpret what you want, um, which can be good and bad, depending on how well they interpret what you want. But they just do their best to do what they what they think you want them to do. Level four of presence is summon. And with this, you can call a person from a very great distance and that person will come and, and do what you say. Um, the subject of the summons may not know exactly why he is walking across the room toward the cloaked stranger, but the kindred's powerful aura will completely entrance him. Vampires have been known to summon a person from halfway around the world. Indeed, the subject will use the fastest and most direct means of travel to reach his master's side. In order to summon a person who is out of sight, however, you must have previously met them. So yeah, can be handy. And then level five power presence is called majesty. You are almost universally respected and feared. Unless mortals or even kindred stop to consider their feelings about you, they are likely to treat you respectfully without conscious thought. Indeed, the very sight of you causes jaws to drop in awe and even the most courageous to fear you. You simply seem so formidable that no one would even consider crossing you, let alone making a physical challenge. You will not be attacked or harmed in any way for as long as the effects of majesty remain unresisted. And for even a vampire, another vampire, to attack you, they have to constantly be making willpower rolls to do that, which is, which is pretty difficult to do. So that's a very useful power. All right, next up is the discipline Protean, which I already mentioned. Uh, this is powers of shape-changing. So the level one power protean is called Gleam of the Red Eyes. And this uh, allows you to see perfectly in normal darkness. Um, Limited vision is even possible in absolute darkness. When this power is activated, your eyes glow in eerie red. So remember, we had an auspex. Level one power of auspex was heightened senses. So that doubles your, your power of vision, doubles how far you can see, you know, doubles or cuts in half how much light you need to see. But this allows you to be able to see perfectly in low light or no light. And uh, yeah, you're going to be able to see just as well as in the day. You can see colors and, and things like that. Level two power of protein is wolf claws. You grow inch long claws on each of your fingers. 
These claws do aggravated damage to other vampires, just like um, Sunlight and Fire. So if you're a more physical brawly type, um, this can be a way that, that you can be dangerous to, to other vampires. Level 3 power of Protean is a very useful power called Earth Meld. And this basically lets you, uh, when you want to or need to, uh, you can sink down into the Earth and you can kind of become one with the Earth and uh, you're safe there from, from sunlight and other things. And yeah, you just sink into the ground and it's a great way to, you know, to get away from the sunlight during the day. And also you, you meld with the earth. So someone can't just dig you up. You know, they, they wouldn't be able to find you because you're, you're part of the ground now. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, level four, protean power is shadow of the beast. This allows you to transform into either a wolf or a bat. Pretty simple. And in level five, protean power is form of mist, which allows you to turn into mist. How cool is that? Now there's a, a discipline called thaumaturgy that I'm actually not going to go into. Uh, it's kind of its own thing, or at least I'm not going to go into all the powers. But uh, thaumaturgy is blood magic. So there is a clan of vampires called the Tremere that experiment with vampire blood and learn to use it to do magic. So thaumaturgy is unique in that it has all these different paths you can learn, which are like separate little disciplines. And you can do all kinds of stuff. There are all kinds of paths in this book and other books. One of the paths is uh, the path of blood, which lets you do things with the blood of yourself and other vampires and humans as well. There's the lure of flames, which lets you create fire out of nothing. There's movement of the mind, which lets you move objects around with your mind, like psychokinesis. Uh, there's a weather control path. You can control the weather. All kinds of stuff like that. And those are the disciplines. So, you know, those are the ones in, in the core book. Uh, I think there are seven clans in the, uh, in the core book. There are actually, I think it's 13 total clans of vampires, and that's not counting the um, smaller bloodlines and stuff they come up with for the game. But there are 13 total clans, but there are only seven clans which are commonly part of the Camarilla or the Camarilla, depending how you want to say it, um, which is the society that vampires are, are part of. Um, there are actually other vampire societies out there. A big one is called the Sabbat, and they are the home of, of most of the other clans, of the 13 clans that aren't part of the Camarilla. And yeah, that's a whole nother topic for another day is, is talking about the Sabbat. So, so everything we're talking about today with vampires, as far as like the masquerade and princes and, and how the society works, that's all assuming Camarilla vampires. So just know that that's only one of a few different societies of vampires out there, and, and they're all very different. So now um, I thought I'd go into the clans a little bit, and, and I'm just, uh, see, we're already <laughs> running long today. So I'm going to hit these pretty quick, especially because, you know, the disciplines are what they are, but the clans are really just just a jumping off point. You know, these are these are social groups. So each clan kind of has a stereotype of what a vampire of that clan is is like, but you know, of course, not everybody is like that. So there's going to be exceptions to that. 
So I'll just kind of give you the gist of each clan to give you an idea. And also I'll let you know what disciplines each clan has access to. So just as a reminder, when when you're making a vampire character, you get three three clan disciplines that, that you can, you know, use freely that you can learn. And then you you can learn other disciplines from outside your three clan disciplines, but those cost more freebie points if you want to get them at character creation, and they cost more XP if you want to get them or improve them later uh, than the clan disciplines do. So the clan disciplines are are cheaper for you to get. Um, so the first uh, clan is the Bruja or the Bruja. I think the second pronunciation is probably the correct one, but uh, I've heard both. And they are kind of the anarchs of vampire society. The Camarilla, the the vampire uh, society, tends to be run mostly by the Ventru, which is another clan. Um, a lot of the princes of the Camarilla are Ventru. A lot of the other people, like real high up in the hierarchy, tend to be Ventru. And the, the Bruja are kind of the antagonists of the Ventru or the competitors of the Ventru. Back in old, olden times, uh, they were more, you know, they had more political power. They were more, you know, movers and shakers. But since the days of the Camarilla, the, the Ventru have always kind of been the, the head of that. And so they kind of lost um, that political power. And, and so now they're kind of anarchs and, and kind of rebel against the rule of the Ventru. A lot of times they tend to be like, punks or bikers or whatever like that. Um, but but again, those are all stereotypes and an individual character can be very different from that. Their clan disciplines that they have are celerity, which is the super speed discipline, potence, which is the super strength discipline, and presence, which is the power of personality uh, discipline. So they're pretty uh, powerful physical physically to play. You know, if you want a character that that's really badass in a fight, uh, Bruja is a good, a good choice. One thing that's interesting is each clan has a weakness that members of their clan have. So the uh, Bruja weakness is that vampires of this clan frenzy more often and, and more easily. So basically, if you're playing a Bruja, anytime you make a, a roll to resist frenzy, the difficulty for that roll is always too higher than it would normally be. So they have a hard time resisting that frenzy. Next up, we have the Gangrel. Uh, they are the one clan that is comfortable outside of the cities, out, out in the wilderness. They are the one clan that can somewhat get along with, with werewolves. Um, their clan disciplines are animalism, which is the control over animals, fortitude, which is the discipline that helps them resist fire and sunlight, and Protean, which is the shape-changing discipline. And they are the only clan that gets that discipline. So, you know, if you really want to be able to turn into mist, being a gangrel would be the easiest way to, to get to that, although you don't have to. It'll just be easier. The gangrel weakness is every time they frenzy, they become more animal-like. So every time your character frenzies, if you're playing a gangrel, you gain some kind of animal feature. So... Yeah, that could be anything. Usually you pick a specific animal. Uh, a lot of times it's a wolf. And every time you frenzy, you will gain a new feature of that animal so that as you frenzy more and more, you start to look more and more like a wolf if, if that's the animal you choose. 
So as Gangrel age, they increasingly resemble that which they truly are, the beast. These features tend to negatively affect the character's social skills. So for every five of these animal features that your character gains, you must lower one of your character's social attributes by one. And again, the social attributes are charisma, manipulation, and appearance. Our next clan are the Malkavians. Uh, They're a lot of fun as they're all insane. One aspect of this game are what are called derangements, which are mental illnesses, basically. Things like obsessive-compulsive disorder, uh, multiple personality disorders, schizophrenia, etc. So you can get these derangements in various ways. Um, One way you can get them is, if I remember right, if you roll to resist a frenzy and you botch the roll, uh, you gain a derangement. Uh, Malkavians start out the game with one. Every every Malkavian is a a little off the rocker. Their uh, disciplines are auspex, which is the powers of perception, dominate, which is the abilities to to control people, and obfuscate, which is the, the hiding discipline. And their clan weakness, as I said, is that they all have some kind of derangement, um, and you start the game with one. And the player gets to choose the derangement, but they will never be able to completely overcome this derangement, no matter how much willpower they spend. So normally when you gain a derangement, you can spend willpower over time. And once you've spent enough willpower, you kind of get over it, you get past it. But this derangement that uh, Malkavian starts with, they, they can never overcome. And yeah, they, they can be a lot of fun. Uh, next up is the Nosferatu. And these are, uh, they tend to hide out in the sewers and they are incredibly ugly vampires. Their disciplines are animalism, control over animals, uh, obfuscate, the powers of hiding, and potence, the super strength. Their weakness is that they are so ugly that they have an appearance of zero. Simply cross the entire attribute off the character sheet. Nosferatu fail any action that involves their appearance. They really are hideous. Next up is the Toreador, kind of opposite of the Nosferatu in a way where, you know, the Nosferatu are ugly. The Toreador tend to be beautiful. So these, as I've said in another episode, these are the artists of the vampire world. And their clan disciplines are aspects, the, the powers of perception, celerity, super speed, and presence, the powers of personality. Uh, Their weakness is that they're as much prisoners of their artistic vision and sensitivity as they are its beneficiaries. They are often overcome by the beauty they see around them and become immobilized with fascination. Such things as paintings, neon signs, or even sunrises can captivate them. And they have to roll willpower to kind of break out of this fascination they have with whatever beautiful thing they're gazing at. Next up are the Tremere, and they're the the warlock vampires I was just talking about a little bit ago. Um, their disciplines are auspects, powers of perception, dominate the ability to control people, and thaumaturgy, which is the blood magic. Their weakness is they must all drink from the blood of the seven elders of their clan when they are created. This means that all Tremere are at least one step toward being bloodbound to the clan, and therefore, must watch their step very carefully. So now I have to <laughs> explain the blood bond. It's not that complicated, really. Basically, when you 
drink when as a vampire you drink another vampire's blood it has an effect on you where you kind of fall in love with them the more times you drink their blood the more pronounced this is once you've drank their blood three times you are what's considered blood bound to them and it's basically you're in love with them that's the easiest way to explain it you are in love with this person now so all Tremere are already a third of the way to being in love with the seven elders of their clan. Sometimes when you screw up, I mean, a lot of times when you screw up in the vampire world, the punishment is death. They just kill you. But if it's not quite bad, bad enough to uh, kill you, you may end up becoming bloodbound to someone. So if you screw up with your sire, your your sire may force you to to drink their blood and and become bloodbound to them. If you screw up in general and and you tick off the prince of the city, the prince may require you to drink their blood and become blood bound to them. So uh, definitely something to to be avoided. Next up is the Ventru. As I said, they're kind of the ones who run the Camarilla to a large degree. They tend to embrace vampire or embrace people who are politically powerful and or economically powerful. Their disciplines are dominate the power of controlling people, fortitude, the uh, resistance of fire and sunlight, and presence, the power of charisma and personality. And their weakness is they have exacting and rarefied tastes. Even when it comes to blood, the player must pick a restriction on the type of blood her character can feed upon. For example, only young men, no animals, only virgins, etc. And yeah, it could be anything. It could be a hair color or a certain ethnicity, or a certain sex, or a certain gender, or whatever. There, there's some kind of limitation, and you will only drink that type of blood. And those are the clans. As I said, there are more clans than that. There, there are 13, and then lots of minor bloodlines. But those are the seven clans that are commonly found in the Camarilla. And, you know, if you're just getting into the vampire, that's, that's all you got to worry about. All right, so the next big part of the mechanics of, of an actual vampire, or it's kind of two parts that are very closely related, are your generation and your blood pool. So kind of the, the mythology of this game is really steeped in, in Christian mythology, which uh, I'm personally not a huge fan of, but you could easily change it. And the way it works is very simply this. According to legend, the first vampire ever was the vampire Cain, as in Cain and Abel from the Garden of Eden. So if if you know the the old myth of of Cain and Abel, um, Cain murdered his brother Abel, and he was the first murderer. And as part of his punishment from God for this horrible thing he'd done, he was banished from the Garden of Eden. So the idea here is when he was banished from the Garden of Eden, what that really meant is he was made into a vampire. He was the first vampire. And the idea in this game is that every time a vampire makes a new vampire by, you know, uh, it works the way it works in, in most vampire stories. The vampire finds, you know, the person they want to make into a vampire. They drink all their blood so that they're on the verge of death. And then they give the human some of their blood. And now that makes them a vampire. Well, every time a vampire does that, the vampire that they create is weaker than they are. And this is represented by the concept of generation. 
So it's how many generations removed are you from Cain from the first vampire? So the idea is every time you make a new vampire, that vampire blood you give to this new person gets watered down a little bit. So Cain made a number of vampires himself, which were the second generation. They were a little less powerful than Cain was because the blood got watered down a little bit. I don't remember how many second generations there were. I feel like it was two or three or six or something like that. It wasn't very many. And then they, in turn, the second generation made the third generation, which were um, weaker than the second generation. The third generation are called the Antediluvians, and they are the founders of the clans. So with the exception of Tremere, Tremere has a weird history, but the other clans, they were all they all hail from one of these uh, third-generation vampires, of which they were 13 for the 13 clans. So for instance, the Ventru clan all descend from a third-generation vampire called Ventru. Um, that's why they're called the Ventru. So that's why... You know, the Ventru have the disciplines that they have. That's why they have the weakness that they have. They inherited all that from the third generation vampire they're descended from. So these third generation vampires are on a power level, like they're, they'd be like demigods. Luckily for us, they're very much like dragons. They're all holed up deep underground somewhere and they've all been asleep for centuries or millennia. Um, so they're not um, physically active in the world. And that's a good thing because they would be like demigods and, you know, they'd be crazy powerful. Then after the third generation, there was a fourth generation, fifth generation, and so on. And again, with each successive generation, the blood gets a little little weaker. So most player characters, unless they spend points in the generation background, if they don't do that, they start out as 13th generation. So remember I was talking a little bit about how some vampires that are powerful enough can actually exceed the five limit on traits. They can have traits above five. Well, that's generation. So once you are seventh generation or lower, your traits can exceed five. So if you're a seventh generation vampire, your traits can go up to six. If you're a sixth generation, they can go to seven. If you're a fifth generation, they can go to eight. If you're a fourth generation, they can go to nine. And if you're a third generation, they can go all the way to 10. So that's your attributes, strength, dexterity, intelligence, all that, as well as all your abilities, as well as your disciplines. The other thing that generation controls is aspects of your blood pool. So let's talk about that. So this is a really great system. I really love it. And it's something they screwed with for the fifth edition. And it's one of the reasons I, I would never run or, or even really want to play uh, the fifth edition because they completely changed the way this works. And I think this way is better than, than what they came up with. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, people. So uh, this is really great. So we all know that you know vampires drink blood. And they, they have to drink blood to some degree, right? So how do we reflect that mechanically in a game? And what they came up with is really genius. So as I said, most characters are going to start out as 13th generation. And as a 13th generation vampire, you have a blood pool of 10. So, you know, the blood that you drink and you hold in your body is conceptualized as blood points. You know, we're not going to worry about 
how many liters or pints or cc's of blood did you drink? We just kind of abstractify it. I'm not sure if that's a word into this blood pool slash blood point system. So as a you know beginning character, 13th generation vampire, you have a blood pool of 10, which means that you, if you're completely full, you've drank all the blood you can hold, or at least all the blood you can benefit from, you could probably hold more. It just won't do anything for you. Uh, you have 10 blood points. Okay. So every night when you wake up, because you sleep during the day, because you're a vampire, every night when you wake up, you lose one of your blood points. And this just represents the blood that is used just to keep your corpse body animated and keep you from aging and all these things. So every day you lose one point of blood. So you can see if you have a blood pool of 10, let's say you start out, you're, you're completely full. If you do nothing else, just by living or, or being undead, after 10 days or 10 nights, you're, you're going to be out of blood, right? Well, you don't want to let it get that far. But, but just the, you know, and that's a, that's a really clever way that they did it, that no matter what, you're eventually going to have to hunt. You're eventually going to have to get more blood because you lose a point every day just to keep yourself going. So remember I, I mentioned the frenzy, which, which is where you lose control of yourself to the beast. So you have three virtues, which are conscience, self-control, and courage. So your self-control, and, and these all are traits that go from one to five, your self-control is what you roll to avoid going into a frenzy. So a frenzy is when the hunger strikes you and you roll self-control to avoid going into a frenzy. If you fail and you go into a frenzy, you lose control of yourself for a while. And that's literal. Like the, the GM or the storyteller tells you what you do at that point. Now, if you're, if you're good at, at role-playing and you're good at staying within the frenzy and what you're supposed to be doing, you know, the, the storyteller can let you decide what you're doing. But you're basically out of control. You've turned into an animal and all you care about is sating your hunger and you will attack anyone that's nearby. It doesn't matter if they're a friend or what. It doesn't matter if you break the masquerade to do it. You don't care. So a lot of times, you know, the, the storyteller just takes control of your character until the frenzy is over. But when you, you know, you've played for a while and your, your players know what it's like as a storyteller, if the player, you know, does it right, you can let them control their character in frenzy as long as they're, you know, doing what a character in frenzy would do. So you roll your self-control to avoid going into frenzy. However, you can never roll more dice for that than you have blood points. So you might have a self-control of five, but if you only have two blood points left, you only get to roll two dice to resist the frenzy. Because again, as you get hungrier and hungrier, it gets harder and harder to resist, which is a really cool mechanic. So you lose a point every, every night when you wake up from your sleep, uh, if you ever have to roll to resist frenzy, you can't roll more dice than you have blood points. You use your blood to heal yourself. So remember earlier I said that unless it's damage from sunlight or fire, some kind of aggravated damage, you can heal it really quickly. So I talked about in uh, a previous episode about how this game has a damage track and there are, I think, seven different health levels. So very simply, as long as the damage isn't from sunlight or fire or from a vampire or a werewolf's claws, something that does aggravated damage, you can just heal damage by spending blood. And every blood point you spend heals one level of damage. And it's as easy as that. 
The other thing you can use your blood for is to increase your physical attributes. So strength, dexterity, and stamina, you can increase those by spending blood points on a one-for-one basis. So let's say you normally have a strength of three, you can increase your strength by spending blood points. So you can spend one point to raise it to four, you could spend two points to raise it to five, and you can increase those to one beyond your maximum. So as a 13th generation vampire, your maximum is five, just like everybody else's in the world. So that means you could raise your strength, dexterity, and or stamina to six using your blood. That lasts for a scene. So remember in these games, we go by scenes and you're in a scene until you change locations or or a major change in the story or a jump in time would be another way to end a scene. So it lasts quite a while. Like if you're in some kind of a quote encounter or a combat or something like that, it's going to last for the entire scene for that whole thing. So, you know, you can spend your blood, you can get stronger, you can get more dexterous, you can have more stamina. And you can raise all those to a maximum of six on a one-for-one basis by spending your blood pool. And then the other big thing you can spend blood points for is some of the disciplines require the use of blood to activate. So for instance, uh, celerity, which is the super speed, it just default gives you those extra dice to dexterity, which you get all the time no matter what. But if you actually want to use the super speed where you get more actions, you have to spend a point of blood to do that. And at 13th generation, you can only spend one blood point per turn. And again, you have a blood pool of 10. Now, as you get lower in generation, that changes. So every generation below 13th, your your blood pool size increases. And eventually, when you get low enough, you can use more points per turn. So generation 12, you have 11 blood points. Generation 11, you have 12 blood points. Generation 10, you have 13 blood points. Generation 9, you have 14 blood points, and you can now spend two points per turn. Generation 8, you have 15 blood points, and you can now spend three per turn. Generation 7, you have 20 blood points, double what you had at 13th generation, and you can now spend five points per turn. Sixth generation, you have 30 blood pool, and you can spend six per turn. Fifth generation, you have 40 blood pool. You can spend eight per turn. Fourth generation, you have 50 blood pool. You can spend 10 per turn. And third generation, they just have question marks. We don't know what they can do. It would not be unreasonable to assume they have 100 blood pool and can spend 15, maybe 20 points per turn. But uh, third generation is is purely in the purview of NPCs. Uh, You're not going to have player characters getting that low. And uh, even the NPCs, you probably will never see one. And wow, there we are. We're, we're well over an hour recording time. Hopefully I can cut that down a bit in the edit. But I am still not through all this. So I guess this will now be a three-part series on Vampire. But we got through quite a bit today. So yeah, I'm going to put a pin in this here. And uh, we'll we'll do a third part of this kind of digging into Vampire. And... Yeah, we'll we'll cover the rest of this next week, but but I think this is a good good place to to pause for the week, and uh, yeah, you know a bit more now about uh, the different types of vampires you can play, what they're like, and uh, the various supernatural abilities that they have. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week of Game Master's Journey. So, thank you so much again for tuning in. 
Next week, we will do the third part in our series on Vampire the Masquerade. Hopefully, we'll get through the end next week. The topics left to discuss are the backgrounds in Vampire. I want to talk a bit more about the virtues. Uh, We talked a little bit about uh, self-control today, but there's also conscience and courage to talk about. I want to talk a bit more about the humanity rating and how that works, how XP is earned and spent, a little bit more about injury, although I think we've, we've covered most of that. And finally, I'll talk a bit more about frenzy and the other uh, kind of v- vampire uh, mental state, which is called the Roshek, which I'm sure I'm not saying that right, but it's close, hopefully. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll cover that next week in episode 296. If you have any comments or questions about this, I would love to hear from you. If you'd like to uh, submit something to me for the episode 300, that would be awesome. Again, you know, if there's been any way this show has helped you or, or anything you've learned from it, I'd, I'd love to hear about it. If you have any questions or uh, requests for a future topic, I'd love to hear that. Or if you just have a uh, RPG war story you'd like to tell, whether as a player or a GM, I would love to hear that. And I can uh, put these things together uh, for our episode 300 celebration. What I would really love is if you would let me use your voice on the show and and we can hear this in your own words. You can call my voicemail at 951-GMJ-LEX-1. That's 951-465-5391. Uh, if you want to record your own audio file and send that to me, you can email it to me at gamemastersjourney at gmail.com. Also, if you would rather not hear your voice on the podcast, you can send me an email at gamemastersjourney at gmail.com. Finally, another great way to connect with me and the other listeners and GMs is to join our community on Discord. You can find a link to that in the show notes at lexstarwalker.com slash GMJ. So yeah, that's uh, that's going to wrap it up for me today. Thanks again for for joining me. It's been really fun talking about Vampire, and uh, the more I talk about this game, the more I'm looking forward to the next time I can run it. I hope that you have a chance to play an RPG this week. I hope that you have a chance to run an RPG. I'll be back soon with another episode of Game Master's Journey. Until then, game on. This has been a Starwalker Studios production, your source for quality gaming and hobby podcasts. This episode's music, courtesy of Cloudwalker, Transboy, Renfield, Stanko, and Ish. See the show notes for more details at starwalkerstudios.com slash Game Master's Journey.